What is up, my dudes? Welcome to Olympia Oddities. I'm Trista. And I'm Steven. And today, we're covering a story that Steven picked out. I had heard of this one before, but I'd kind of forgotten all about it. But he sent me a link to an article about it the other day, and I knew that we needed to cover it all for you. Today, we're telling you the story of the Lady of the Lake and the investigation into who these mysterious soap-like remains could have once belonged to and how they ended up in the lake. A quick trigger warning for this episode before we get into it for some pretty gnarly talk about the decomposition process and a mention of domestic abuse. Now, without the domestic abuse, I will say I'm pretty excited for this one. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely weird. It's uh, kind of gnarly when we get into like the details of the body and like the state that the remains were in and what happened to make that happen. But yeah, um, also a very sad story. I was gonna say I can't, I can't wait because I have this weird, morbid curiosity of just decomposition and death. We're all gonna head there eventually, so why not learn about it a little bit, you know? But yeah, I just remember being at work and my coworker just asked me if I knew about this, and I said I had no idea. Apparently, she, I think she just said Soap Lake. Like she just started with, have you ever heard of Soap Lake? And I was like, no, what is this? She's like, yeah, there was a body that turned into, and I was like, what? And I immediately like found an article, sent it to you. <laughs> I skimmed it and then I sent it to you. <laughs> I'm excited to get this all broken down. On the morning of July 6th, 1940, Louis Rolf and his brother were fishing on Crescent Lake in Olympic National Park. This lake is beautiful, ice cold, and nearly 600 feet deep. Instead of finding fish, though, they spotted something mysteriously floating on the surface of the lake. A closer inspection revealed that they were the remains of a woman, wrapped in two gray-striped blankets. The woman inside was wearing a green dress. Horrified at the grisly discovery, they headed straight to the dock of the Washington State Trout Hatchery, where they told Superintendent A.D. Immenroth what they had found. He was skeptical about it at first and told them that it must have just been a deer or something. Even though he was skeptical, he agreed to follow them back to the site and have a look for himself. When they arrived, he realized that they had in fact found a body, so he contacted Kalam County Prosecutor and Coroner Ralph Smith and Sheriff Charlie Kemp, both headed to the scene to retrieve the remains from the lake. The body was taken to Port Angeles for an autopsy, and it was then that the most curious detail of the entire case was realized. While the woman's face was unrecognizable, the rest of her body had not decomposed. According to a medical student examining the remains, there was no real smell of decay. Her flesh had turned into a weird substance that resembled soap, and the flesh could be scooped away like putty. E. That's- oh, man. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, weird weird side note you know like whenever you wear vans like the slip-ons yeah and you don't wear socks and sometimes you wear them too long you get like Ew, that yeah man, i like call pudding. that foot pudding <laughs> that's what i call it i call it foot pudding and that's just like, like that consistency is like what i'm imagining that they're describing right now that is like on the body and i'm just like oh man god i should have put in a trigger warning for foot pudding <laughs> i didn't know you were gonna talk about it <laughs> We should have put in a trigger warning for footbud. <laughs> uh, the woman had been beaten and strangled and had been hogtied with heavy rope and then weighed down with rocks. The rope had eventually rotted away, and that combined with the weird chemical reaction her body underwent, called saponification, made the body unusually light, so the remains floated to the surface where the fishermen discovered them. 
Saponification is also to blame for the weird soap-like consistency of her remains. Adipakir, which is known as corpse wax, or fat of the graveyards. Fun. Right? I was like, oh, he's distinguished. It reminded me of, uh, what was it, King of Herrings? It was like from some <laughs> cryptid episode where like it was some fish that was like also known as King of Herrings. And I was like, we're going to drop a mixtape? Oh, yeah, I remember yeah. that. I forget which cryptid it was exactly, but I do remember that now. That's Oh, man, that's the hilarious. The fat of graveyards. <laughs> it was giving me like big that energy. The fat of graveyards. I like it. Excuse me, sir. Do you have any fat of graveyards? <laughs> Sorry, I can't not make like a Grey Poupon joke about it. <laughs> um, it's a product of decomposition that turns body fat into a soap-like substance. It has a soft, greasy, gray appearance when it begins to form. Ew. And as it ages, the wax hardens and becomes brittle. Saponification can stop the decay process as the entire body gets encased in this waxy material, turning them into what is known as a soap mummy. The near-freezing temperature of Crescent Lake also helped to preserve the remains. Investigators initially believed that the Lady of the Lake might have been Marian Frances Steffens, a Chicago woman who had disappeared into the wilderness of Olympic National Park in September of 1939. The clothing on the remains had matched the clothing Marion was wearing when she disappeared, but she was ruled out after investigators noted that she had suffered a fractured neck vertebrae, and the remains found at the lake didn't show any signs of an injury like that. Harlan McNutt. Nothing? No comment. I even left a little pause because I thought you were, I was going to get a solid giggle at McNutt. I already feel... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that gets a giggle. <laughs> uh, Mr. McNutt, a young medical student, examined the body in Port Angeles and found the upper part of her face, her upper lip, and her nose were all missing. Her fingertips were also missing, making it impossible to ID the remains off of fingerprints. Her neck was bruised and had discoloration. Her chest also showed signs of extensive hemorrhaging. So oh, she was man. in, like, rough state despite the weird like pristine condition her body was in that is so strange they like, sorry oh. like how how does that even <laughs> like how are you preserved but like there's like no basis of like figuring out who you are well i'm glad that you said that because we're just about to get into how they figured out who she was take me away perfect segue <clears throat> they finally got their first clue into the woman's disappearance when they were examining her mouth, which had a distinctive upper dental plate. A South Dakota dentist soon reached out to him, to them because he recognized the dental plate as something he had made for a patient years ago. He gave them his patient's name, Hallie Illingworth. Hallie Illingworth had been born on January 8, 1901 in Greenville, Kentucky. Her parents were a hardworking farming couple. In her young adult years, she moved west a few times in pursuit of a better life. She was married twice before arriving in Washington, but both of these marriages failed. She ended up working at the Lake Crescent Tavern, and it was there that she met her next husband, Monty Illingworth. Monty. Monty was a beer truck driver and had quite the reputation for being a bit of a ladies' man. Their relationship was rocky and unstable and full of fighting. Those that knew the couple said that these arguments often centered around alcohol and affairs. For whatever reason, I just have this... Sorry for anybody named Monty out there. 
it's not it's not a personal beef or anything but for whatever reason whenever i hear somebody's named monty i just imagine they're not it's not a person that's a cat that's a python <sighs> that too but for me i think it's a cat and i think that that's just because of the stuart little movie from a long time ago i believe there was a there was a cat in there named monty so of course this man was a ladies man he was a cat he wasn't a person he was a cat just five months into their marriage, the couple had gotten into an early morning fight that was so intense that the cops had to come and break it up. Hallie would often show up to work at the restaurant with bruises on her face and arms. She would sometimes come in with black eyes. Oof. But as 1937 drew to a close around Christmas time, Hallie disappeared. The last time anyone remembered seeing her was either the 20th or 21st of December. Monty had told his friends that Hallie had ran off with another man to start a new life. Monty then quickly moved away to Los Angeles with another woman he had met while in Port Angeles. He'd been rumored to have begun dating this woman before Hallie disappeared and while they were still married. See, I'm just saying, this sounds like, like, does it not sound like, you know, actions of a cat? <laughs> does, does that not sound like actions of a feline? Sounds like actions of a guy who definitely murdered his wife that too but yeah i could see a cat doing that too and then just like telling his other cat friends like oh yeah no he, he she went and found some other cat some other cool cat and then he just ran off looking for more mice other lady kitties investigators found monty living in long beach california and arrested him on october 26 1941 he was charged with murder and brought back to Port Angeles, where he would be put on trial in the Calam County Superior Court. They nabbed him for catnip. I'm sorry. <laughs> the story of the Lady of the Lake and the bizarre condition her body was found in had gripped the American public. And while Hallie's trial began on February 24th, 1942, the news from the trial competed with news from the front lines of World War II. Wow. That's... Oof. Yeah, they're like, a we don't need info updates on World War II. Give us more of that soap lady trial. That's insane, actually. It's kind of good to know that like people have always been people. Wow. Like, let's ignore this big important thing going on because like that's a that's a huge shadow a for like a small for trial. That is man, that's a huge shadow to cast. So over something this is extensive. I just wow. Local newspapers gave daily updates on how the proceedings were going, and spectators would arrive early to courts every day. Every day of the nine-day trial was attended by Lucky Lou's, bored housewives, and teenagers trying to hear the grisly details. Monty's original defense was that the woman found in the lake wasn't Hallie, and it was a case of mistaken identity. He held fast to his claims that Hallie had been alive the last time he'd seen her. However, Hallie's friends were able to identify the clothing found on the Lady of the Lake as matching clothing that Hallie had owned. That's spooky. During the trial, Monty changed the story. He claimed that he had seen Hallie for the last time on December 22, 1937. He said that she had gone to work in the morning like she usually did, but when she returned home, they had gotten into a big fight. Monty claimed that he left the apartment and headed downtown. He said that when he got back, Hallie was gone without a trace. When asked about domestic abuse during the trial, Monty said, I struck Hallie. She also struck me. I never beat her up, and I did not kill Hallie. I doubt that. Mm. Mm. The key piece of evidence in the trial ended up being the rope that had been used to tie up the body. Monty's employer, Earl F. Enos, manager of the Port Angeles Distributing Company, 
had identified the rope as one that Monty had borrowed, but hadn't ever returned. The store still had some remnants of fiber from the rope, and the fibers matched the one found with the Lady of the Lake. The jury reached their verdict in just four hours and found Monty Ellingsworth guilty on March 5th, 1942. They were just like, yeah, we ain't going to waste no time. We're like, you, yeah, they were like, you did he this. Did it. We yeah. ain't stupid. It's almost like the, uh, oh man, the Romanian dictator from 1989 that I can hardly ever say his name. But yeah, it was like five minutes. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, all right, you're done. <laughs> Uh, He was sentenced to life at the Walla Walla State Penitentiary, but ended up being paroled after just nine years. He died on November 5th, 1974, in Los Alamitos, California. May he rot. It's believed that the murder of Hallie Inlingsworth was probably not premeditated. It's thought that Hallie and Monty had gotten into a fight at their apartment on the night of her disappearance, and that Monty had ended up getting violent, beating and strangling her to death. According to Hollis Fultz, a criminologist at the Washington State Attorney General's office who helped investigate the murder, Monty then tried to cover up his crime by placing his wife's body into the trunk of his car. He drove out to Lake Crescent and stopped in the area of what is now the Log Cabin Resort to wrap Hallie's body in the blankets and tied it with the rope. He put the body into a rowboat and attached the weights before rowing out into the water and dumping the body of his wife into the lake. Local rumors have gone around that Monty wasn't the only one responsible or involved in Hallie's murders. Hallie's murder, but he remains the only one charged with her murder. And I personally believe that he was probably the only person involved. No, I I I would totally agree with that. And honestly, yeah, his dark and morbid as this well. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, this Lake one, Crescent yeah. is honestly a beautiful, gorgeous place. Like, definitely, if you ever you know make it out to the area, check it out. We're definitely making a trip out there. We still have <laughs> fun little factoid. I'm on vacation right now. We still need to go check out the John Tornow site here pretty soon. We still got a whole week that we can do that. Yeah, we might do that soon. Yeah, let's we'll try definitely to do that. report back and tell you guys how that went. And we'll definitely try to hit up Crescent Lake too and check this out. Because this, yeah, this definitely yeah, this definitely has me intrigued. I definitely want to go check this place out. And it it, it is just kind of like a this may sound a little bad, but yeah, just a classic, just crime case. Just a classic from the forties, of course, just their thirties. Uh, yeah, man got mad and blah, blah, blah. Just did bad things. Shouldn't have done it. Tried to get away with it. And he it's got always the husband. It's always the husband. It's always the husband. It's always the husband. You've been watching too much. You, I know. <laughs> well, it's always the stalker. John Mayer. all right guys thank you for listening to another episode of olympia oddities if you want to support the podcast you can leave us a positive review tell a friend about us or follow the facebook or instagram at olympia oddities podcast i'm trista and i'm steven sorry i thought you were going for the instagram stuff for the instagram plug and whatnot you usually do that oh yeah i usually do let me try that again (laughs) I'm Tr- One more time. <laughs> I'm Trista, and you can find my personal Instagram at Saloon Ghost. And I'm Steven, and you can find me at the Steven Ramirez. This threw off my joke I was going to do at the end. I'm sorry. I'm used to so much more going we on. We haven't recorded in a while. I, do you want We're me to group. try again? No, it's okay. No, it's okay. We're good. No. I'm Trista, no, no, no. and you can find my personal Instagram at Saloon Ghost. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> we can't come back from this one, so we're just gonna end this here. Until next time, friends. <laughs> oh, I love you. <laughs>